Once more, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. I've been on vacation, been on the beach for two weeks. If y'all know me, and most of you do, y'all know that that is, <laughs> I, I love this church. I love serving the Lord. I love you, but I love the beach. If Woodburn could have a beach, if we could have a beach here, and our church could be, if I could preach with my feet in the sand, that would all be so good. But anyway, I love you for letting me go. I love you for being the kind of church I can't wait to get home to. And so uh, th thank you for that. Um, listen, just for the good of the church family, tomorrow, uh, be in prayer for Norm Poppy. He'll have surgery in Lexington. Norm has an infection in his heart that has spread to a pacemaker. And tomorrow they'll take that pacemaker out and then try to resolve the infection issue. So pray for Norm. Kathy, his wife, will be with him there in Lexington. Uh, Jake and Dory Hunt have a, a, a new baby boy. He was born very early and he's very small. Uh, so do pray for Jake and Dory. Pray for their baby boy. I don't think he was due until September. And so he's got a ways to go. But he has God's breath in his lungs and he will be blessed. So pray for Jake and Dory as they uh, get used to uh, having their new baby boy. Um, we dedicated uh, Jason and Sarah Bale's baby girl in the previous service, so Waylon will have a girlfriend pretty soon. Uh, she's pretty. She's pretty. Uh, yeah, Letty, Letty Marie was dedicated uh, last service. Uh, let, let's see. Uh, Braden Riffey was baptized last service. He gave his heart to Jesus a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so it's just all so good. There's so many things going on in the life of our church. Good things, people carrying heavy burdens. And, uh, and people also rejoicing in, in God's blessings. So as the church family, you know our job is to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. We always have to do both at once. Uh, and that's how we, uh, we love each other. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 is where we'll be this morning. I just want to come back and talk about Jesus. I just want to preach about Jesus. Uh, Paul wrote letters in the ancient world because it was too hard to get places and there weren't any cell phones, right? Uh, Paul planted churches all throughout the Roman Empire, and then he would move on, and uh, the churches would inevitably have problems. Paul would write letters back because he couldn't be there. He writes to the church at Colossae, which he planted, which was a thriving church, but they had a lot of problems by the time Paul writes, a lot of problems. People talk about, uh, scholars will talk about the Colossian heresy. We know that there's some false teaching in the church, but it really wasn't just like one kind of false teaching. There were several branches of false teaching. They were as messed up as any church could be, just about to drive it off the cliff when Paul writes the letter of Colossians. Now, the amazing thing, we don't know how many different types of false teaching or how many false teachers there were. We don't know all of the problems in the congregation, but... What's blessing, the blessing in today's text is that Paul still just has one answer. It doesn't matter how many different ways the gospel is preached wrongly. The way to correct it is to line it back up with Jesus. Paul just preaches Jesus back at him. It doesn't matter what problems, what questions you have. The answer is always Jesus. Jesus is always the answer. Now, I know that sounds like something that a Baptist preacher would say or something like, of course, you would say that in, in church, but... You need to know, I believe that with my whole heart. I don't know what you're struggling with. I know that Jesus is what you need. Jesus is the answer for you. And Paul, in the most spectacular way, paints this portrait of Jesus in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. As we read 
Notice that he begins with what I would call a cosmic view of Jesus. It's this view from, it's a God's eye view of Jesus, not just the earthly Jesus that we could see with our eyes, but, but the, the, the Jesus that you would only know if you could see things through God's eyes, the eternal Christ. So Paul starts with this cosmic view of Christ and continues to narrow the focus, narrow the focus all the way down to where it is focused in your heart. So notice how we're going to go from this cosmic view to a to an x-ray of your own heart. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Everybody ready? You there? Let's read. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. I love this. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning Supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. I love that everything was created through him, for him. He existed before anything else. He holds all things together. I love that. Let me show you something. Um, this is one of the oldest maps known to humanity. It's called the Ebstorf map. I, I know, it's, it's a lot of detail, and from your seat, you can't find your house. I understand. I, I, I get that. But recognize, this is uh, actually a giant, giant piece. It is something like 12 feet by 12 feet uh, in, in diameter. It is uh, painted on this gigantic... Uh, uh, there are 30, I think, goat skins all laced together to make uh, the, the canvas for this amazing map. It was painted in the 1200s. So sometime around the year 1250, 1230, I believe, someone painted a map of the world. Uh, this is the entire known world in the 1200s. It's the world and everything in it. That's what's amazing. It is every nation known, every body of water, a whole lot of the animals, the creatures uh, that, that existed in the day that, that were known. There are there's more than that. You could think of this like an encyclopedia because it has historical events located in, in, in their places, uh, people, all kinds of things. So honestly, this is just this encyclopedic map of the world in, in the 1200s. I, I'm showing it to you because I want you to notice something about it. First off, I want you to see how everything is organized. Like if you're going to you know, somehow depict the world and 
everything in it. You know, where do you start and how do you organize that? And, and I want you to see that in the year 1200, the creator of the map of Ebstorf actually organizes everything around Christ. Now, if you look closely right here, this is the face of Jesus. His hands are on either side of the globe and his feet are at the bottom. I'll show you up close there. There's a face of Jesus at the very, very top. Now, notice all of the tiny little detail. Uh, everything known to mankind is included here. Here's the picture on the left-hand side of Jesus' outstretched hand. His other hand is on the other side as a way of saying that he's got the whole world in his hands. You understand everything? is held in his hands, and at the very, very bottom, you'll see his feet, his crucified, pierced feet are at the bottom of this gigantic map of everything. Now, you've got Jesus above and below and on both sides, but notice also in the very center of this ancient map is the city of Jerusalem. The choice was to put Jerusalem in the center, but it's really not about Jerusalem. That's not the point. The point is that the very center of this map is Jerusalem, but more importantly, it's the tomb. This is the risen Christ coming out of the grave. So, so what the maker of the map wants you to understand is that the world and everything in it finds its location somehow in relation to the risen Christ. That the risen Christ is the center of everything. That Jesus holds everything in his hands so everything you can possibly know about the world and everything in it, it only makes sense when you somehow align it with Jesus himself. He's the center of everything. You see that? So it's more than just a map, but, but I share this with you because I want to ask you a question. And that's just simply, if we were to somehow draw out the map of your life, like, like, like your world and everything in your world, the map of your life, I'm asking you, what would be at the center of it? Your life. What's at the center? Now, now, obviously, the principle I'm trying to drive home here is that Jesus has to be the central priority of your life. Jesus has to be the priority in your life. He's got to be the main thing. You're in church. I know you're in church, and I know that probably not all of you, but most of you are believers. And of course, you know that Jesus is supposed to be everything in your life. He's supposed to be supreme over everything else. Your highest priority, the ultimate center, you know that. But just because you know that doesn't make it true. And I would also go so far as to say that, that, that for some of you, while you may be in church and you come to church every Sunday and you call yourself a Christian and you say you love Jesus, there's some other priority that's taken over the central place in your life. I'm just not sure there are that many people at all, not even in our church, who would map their lives in such a way where you would have to say all the roads lead to Jesus. You know what I mean? Jesus has to be the central priority of your life. Now notice how Paul draws this picture. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. I, I love that. In other words, if all you think of when you think of Jesus is just the Jesus born in Bethlehem, you're on the right track, but there's so much more that you're missing. There's more. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Yes, we say that Jesus, when he was in human form, was born in Bethlehem, but he didn't begin in Bethlehem. He was from all eternity with God in the beginning because he is God. Jesus is God in the flesh. That's why Paul begins by saying he's the visible image. Jesus is the God we can see. 
He's the visible image of the invisible God. Existed before anything was created, but everything that was created was created by him and through him and for him. You understand? It's this cosmic view of Jesus Jesus, who is the very means and master of creation. It's for him, it's through him, it's in him. Jesus is everything. This is what Paul is saying. But notice how he begins to just wind this focus. It begins to narrow a bit. He's, he's a maker of everything. He holds everything together. And he is the first in the church. He's the head of the church. He's supreme in the church. Can I just say, in case you've forgotten, he's the head of this church. Now, when Paul says head of the church, obviously he means like universal church, the church in all places, in all times, the body of Christ, you know, as it exists in glory. Jesus is supreme over that, but that includes us, this church, us sitting here today. Jesus is the head of this church. Understand that. I don't run this church. If, if you're new here or don't really know how things work, it doesn't work where I run this place. I don't. I don't run the church. The staff doesn't run the church. Our deacons don't even run the church. We do everything we can to see that Christ himself is head of this church. Any decision that is made, the decision should be made in terms of what does Christ want? What is he calling us to do? What is his will for us? How does it affect the gospel? It's all about Jesus. Everything is always about Jesus. And especially here at church. I just want you to know that. I want you to remember that. In the last week, Jason Dunbar, yeah, he preached on fire a lot. And, uh, probably it was especially good because I was listening to it on the beach, you know. So you know, any of you could preach me on the beach, I'd be, amen, you know, <laughs> keep my feet in the sand. Jason did a great job. Jason talked about the sacrificial love and supernatural unity that God is calling us to and and obviously, we say supernatural unity because it's not going to be natural. We can't have unity apart from Jesus because Jesus is the only thing that brings us together. We don't have that much in common. Now, we're all kind of Southerners, but now I've talked to y'all in the hall. Some of y'all are a whole lot more Southern than the rest of us. I'm not saying like, you know, you eating chitlins and got a you know, raccoon skinned in your trunk, but I wouldn't put it past any of you. You know, some of you um, got some country people. Um, we don't have a whole lot in common, really. And if we want to try to find unity on our own, we could probably find more reasons to just walk away from each other, y'all. We, we have a lot of things that would divide us. I remember when I first came as pastor at Woodburn, which was you know, years ago now, um, I was young and I wanted to please people and I didn't like to say anything that I thought would hurt anybody's feelings. And so we're getting ready to have the first senior adult potluck. And so one of the ladies said, Pastor Tim, what do you eat? I said, I eat everything. And then I remembered them in the South. So I said, I eat everything but turnip greens. True story. I eat everything but turnip greens. And the lady said, you don't like turnip greens? I said, I don't like turnip greens. She said, oh, you'd like mine. Okay, y- y'all know where this goes? So she said, you'd like them the way I make them. And no, I wouldn't. I mean, I mean now I'm old and like, and as I tell this story, don't you dare bring me turnip greens. I'm not going to like them. And I know you think you make them different. No, you don't. Everybody makes them the same way. Apparently, you just mow your yard and sweep the sidewalk, you know, and put that in a bowl because they're terrible. They're just, it's, it's awful. They're awful. Who eats them? Yeah, yeah go ahead. Y'all, don't, don't bring me any. Don't. 
don't. So this lady said, oh, Pastor Tim, you, you like mine. And I'm thinking, I would not. But I, I couldn't say that. I'm just like, well, well, you know, you know, well, you know, that, that's interesting or whatever. Uh, anyway, she said, I'll bring you some turnip greens. So anyway, potluck lunch came around on Friday. I had four bowls. Four different ladies brought four different, you know, four different <laughs> bowls of turnip greens, and they want me to, you know, I have to sample everybody's. I have to, there's this amazing potluck full of food, and I got a plate full of turnip greens because four different women are going to watch me eat them to make sure I like theirs, you know. I didn't like any of, I mean, I didn't. It was hard. It was an awful moment. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about what hell is like, but it tastes like turnip greens. I can promise you. Dying and going to hell tastes just like turnip greens. Uh, I, I say all that. I know it sounds silly, but I'm just saying I can love you and not like your turnip greens. I mean, can we just finally begin to remember that there are lots and lots of ways in which we are different and we will be different. And there are issues that matter and things that don't matter. And I just want to remind you that, that as a body of Christ, man, the the only thing that really matters here is Jesus. You've got a different story that you've lived, and I've got a different story that I've lived, but we all have a story of how Jesus changed our lives, and it is Jesus who enables us to live a story together. You know, it's, it's Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. This church is about Jesus. If we try to unite ourselves around anything else, it will fall apart. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes you know, we think it's going to be about the worship and the music, and you like the music or don't like the music. But, you know, I, I don't like every song we sing here, but then I remind myself, y'all aren't singing to me. You know, it's not about us. It's not about me or you. It's not about preferences or opinions. It's about Jesus. Everything always is about Jesus. And, and this is simply what Paul is saying. He is the head of the church. We are his body He's the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. Again, Paul is taking this cosmic view and, and, and bringing it down to a sharp focus. He's the Lord of the church, he says, and brings it all down to the point where he says he made peace with everything. God has made peace with everything in heaven and on earth because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And then he goes there and he says, and this includes you. This includes you. All of this that Paul is talking about, this cosmic Christ, ruler of heaven and earth and everything that we can see and everything that we can't see, he, he's managed to bring peace. He's managed to bring everything together, and this includes you. It comes down to you. And as I said, it's not about you. Life isn't about you. None of us are the center of everything. It's Jesus. But at the same time, what Jesus is doing, it includes you. It brings you in. So, as I'm saying, Jesus has to be the central priority of your life. If we do the map of your life, all the roads have to lead to Jesus. Jesus has got to be everything to you. I know you've got other priorities in your life, but every other priority takes a, a, a second seat. Everything else is readjusted, realigned, because your central priority is Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. This includes you, Paul says, and he goes on to say, you, you got to continue in this. You got to continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. See, th th this is what I'm saying. A, a lot of us would say, well, P Pastor Tim, I've always believed that Jesus was everything. Always believed that Jesus was the ultimate priority. But, but, but can we just all admit to one another that what we know is not always the way we live? And can we not always just say that we're not good at putting first things first? 
We get things messed up all the time. We have competing priorities, and we're not always good at making sure that the most important priority takes the most important place. Paul says you got to continue to believe this truth. you got to stand firmly in it because you're going to drift. That's what Paul says. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. I mean, that is the danger. You're going to drift. I mean, you start out with Jesus in the central place, but then life happens and things begin to compete, and pretty soon Jesus is no longer at the very center of the map of your life. So if you were to draw the map of your life today and, and you were honest about it, what's going to be at the center? Whose face is at the top? You know, If we're honest, most of us, man, it's going to be my face at the top. You know, your face at the top. I mean, I... Man, our lives are about us. We're all about ourselves. Even though as believers, sometimes we, we try to say we're going to live for Jesus and going to live for other people. Man, most of it, we just live for ourselves. And COVID didn't help any of that. I know COVID, you know, it's 2020 now, but, but we're not out of it. And, and our nation is not in, in a good place. And many of you are still not in a good place. Uh, you live with an anxiety. In all of my years of being a pastor, I've never dealt with so many people who, who come to me with anxiety, anxious issues. I'm with you. I've struggled with it. I, I, I get it. it. It is a difficult place that we're in. The stress of our lives is turned up in, in a way that it, we, most of us have never experienced. And can I just explain that in your life, whenever you turn up the stress, the, the normal human response is to become very self-protective. If, if I feel like I'm being threatened, if I feel like, again, stressed in my life, the natural response is to want to protect myself. And so we all begin to be a little more self-focused. I'm not saying that you're selfish. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that because of the stress and the burdens that you carry, because of your anxiety and everything else that goes on, you just have more of a tendency now than maybe any other season of your life to, to really be focused on yourself. That may be a human response, but it doesn't make it healthy. And you're going to have to realize that that's what you've done. And if you care anything about your spiritual life, you're going to have to move yourself out of the center and put Jesus back in the central place. You are not the center. Part of your anxiety is because you really want to be the center. You want to think of yourself as somebody in control. And you are not in control of this. Understand, Jesus holds the whole world in his hands. Let him have it. Let him have it. But you continue to think that somehow you're in charge, that somehow it's about you. And I'm telling you, that, 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 that's why that you go to bed at night, but you can't sleep. It's kind of a big responsibility when you think of yourself as queen of the universe. And I'm telling you, you're not, and you don't have to be, but it's really hard to give that up. You've got to put Jesus in the central place. But most of us, man, we put ourselves in the central place. Or if it's not really ourselves, I, th I think it, we... I would say material things are probably the next most likely idol. The, the thing we put in the place of Jesus is just material things. It's, it's our culture. It's everybody that you know. It's, it's, it's every channel on television, you know. Vacation, I watch HGTV, which I don't even have at my house. And now I hate my kitchen. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? But you know what? If I went home and re, if I let Joanna Gaines come in and redo my whole kitchen, you know, in another month, everything I just did would be out of style. I'd hate it again. Have to go to Hobby Lobby. You know, get me one of those live, laugh, love signs. You know. 
It's, it's just the way we are. We can't be satisfied, and we somehow think that we'll be satisfied if we can just buy something else or, 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 or the nice house. We want the nice house. We want curb appeal or whatever else. And we, we, it's about houses or it's about nice clothes. Most of us really, really like nice clothes, and some of us are insane about it. Some of you, you, you have clothes in every closet in your house, and you live by yourself. You, know, you got so many pair of shoes, you wouldn't think you, that there's a pair of shoes you don't have. But if you see some you don't have, you will have them. I mean, it's just how we are. Houses or clothes, just nice things, furniture, devices, you know. And my goodness, the, the price of a cell phone just continues to go up, up, up. But you'd sell a kidney out of your body to have one. I mean, you're not going to be without one. It's, it's, it's insane how we want devices. And the TV in your house is now the size of, like, you know, the 31W drive-in. <laughs> Why? You know, and we're still not satisfied because, understand, none of these things were ever designed to be the central priority of your life, but you make it that. Some of us, it's, it's relationships, it's family, and family's a wonderful thing, but your family was never supposed to be the center of your life. You make your kids the center of I mean, you just worship and adore your kids. You make your kids the center of everything, and you will drive them crazy. You'll probably drive them away. Because your kids were never supposed to fill up your heart. If, if you're empty, you know, as a person, you can't have enough babies to fill yourself up. If you don't feel like you have, you know, unconditional love, understand you're not going to get it from a baby. That, that comes only from Christ. You try to fill yourself up. You try to satisfy yourself. Some of us, it's, it's addictions. In the center of everything, it's an addiction. And that's not happy. And, and you change it if you could, but you're you're refusing to admit the fact that you can't change it, right? So it's alcohol or drugs or, or maybe some sexual attachment that you have that continues to just enslave your life. It becomes everything that your life is about. For, for so many of us right now, and, and, and I think this is so bizarre, you've made politics the center of your life. I'm 57. I'm old enough to remember that if you were out in public, you didn't talk about politics because it was all understood that nobody wanted to hear that. And it was also understood that we didn't all agree. And so if you start something political, you're just going to ruin everybody's supper, you know. So some of you now have just made it your life's, you know, you know your highest goal in life to ruin everybody's supper because... You know, if we invite you over, it's like having George Stephanopoulos at the table, you, you know, or Sean Hannity. Like, you, you can't turn it off. And there's something really strange. You, you just understand the strangeness of that? Like I say, can't turn it off. Some of you literally have news going in your house every waking moment. <clears throat> understand that, that there's something so strange about that, and you don't understand the strangeness of it. Part of the fact, of course, the truth of the matter is you don't need news 24 hours a day because there ain't nothing happening. Nothing is happening. The world doesn't have that many big newsworthy things. For that matter, if you're watching a news channel and all these Congress people are on the TV talking, you understand, that means they're not working. We didn't hire them to be on television. If they're on television work, you know, talking, that means they're not working. And if they're not working, that means nothing's happening. No laws are being made, no legislation. I mean, nothing's happening if Nancy Pelosi's on TV, you know. But you'll just sit right there and watch her, you know. And, and that's part of it. That they want you to think the world's burning down. Like if you, if you walk away for a minute, you're going to miss something. You're not, you're not. You could turn that off and never go back. 
If anything that big happens, you'll, you'll find out. We'll let you know. I'm just telling you. It's just insane. And social media just amplifies this. You know, some of you, everything that happens in the world, you got to comment. You know, you got to say something. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, like you really do think that you are Rachel Maddow. You know, like, like we're all just can't wait to find out what you think about the war in Ukraine. And you don't know anything. We, we know you don't know anything. And we don't care what you think. I mean, none of us are like, you know, waiting to see your comments. And you know that. That's why you say, well, if you don't like it, you can unfollow me. We did. We have. I'm just saying, is there not more to your life? Because Jesus here, I mean, talks about all the things that Jesus is supreme over and his things you can see, things you can't even see. Thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. I mean, everything in the universe and your whole world has come down to something so small. Like one channel on television and there are at least 60 channels, but you found one channel and it's your whole life. Oh my goodness, just turn it off and go outside. Walk around, you know. Remember that there's a world that God made and Jesus reigns supreme over it. That there are people in your life, really people in need, you know, who need you. They don't just need your opinions or like, you know, for you to, you know, you turn your Facebook, you know, a certain color on this day because you care. If you care, get off Facebook and go outside and help people. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Jesus has to be central priority of your life, but there are literally churches in our community that are just dividing over politics. It's insane. It's insane. And it's not happening here. I'm not saying that it is, but it could if we forget that Jesus is the center of everything. He's the center of your life. If you've made anything else more important than him, you've drifted. That's what Paul says. Drifting. So you make Jesus the central priority of your life. This is what Paul is saying. He's supreme over everything. This includes you. Uh, I love verse 16 and 17. He made the things we can see, the things we can't see. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. I love that. Everything was created by him, through him, for him. He holds it all together. Creation. He holds it together. Yeah. Uh, y- 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 I'm a science person. I-, I love that just geek out with science. In 2004, the Nobel Prize for Physics was awarded to a team of U.S. scientists who had written and researched and published uh, on the subject of what they call strong force. Am I familiar with that term? Strong force. It's really pretty amazing. It's one of the mysteries of the material universe, the strong force. Um, and the idea goes to, at the atomic level, like everything that is, is material is made of matter, right? And, and all matter is atomic, and so made of atoms. And at the very center of the atom, of course, is, is the nucleus that has the, the protons and the neutrons, right? Am I getting it all right? Protons and neutrons. Protons have a positive magnetic you know, charge. Protons are positive. Neutrons are neutral. If you've ever had magnets, if you had the two positive poles of magnets, two magnets, and you tried to put the positive poles together, what happens? Yeah, they push apart. You know that, that, that way that you know, positive and positive, they, they, they push apart. And so here's the thing. From, from, from the very beginning of, 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 of atomic physics, no one has understood how the atom held together. 
Because you have this, you know, this nucleus, you have this center, which is protons, all positively charged. And everything we know says that they should just, they, they should repel. They should, everything should blow apart into nothingness. There is nothing in this universe that should actually be holding together. And nobody's ever understood how it holds together. The, the very center of the atom. All we know is if you try to split it, you can have a, you know, you can destroy the world with a nuclear explosion, you know. I mean, if you split the atom, do you understand the power in that? And that's the point. So these physicists got the Nobel Prize for just calling it strong force. I think they could have stayed up a little longer and tried to work on a better name, you know, strong force. It's not just strong force. It is the strongest force known in the universe. It is like a thousand times stronger than gravity. We're talking about the force that just keeps every atom in your body, every atom in the universe from exploding into nothingness. Something's holding it all together. Physicists call it strong force. I don't know. There's a strong force there for sure. <laughs> They've named it, but they don't understand it, and I don't understand it either. All I know, though, is that Paul, who never studied physics, is able to say, you know, there is a God who created all of this. His name is Jesus. It was for him, through him, by him. And uh, as a matter of fact, man, he still holds it all together. He holds it all together. At the atomic level, at the level of you, understand, things hold together when they're in his hands. I would say it this way. Everything, uh, everything in Jesus' hands holds together. Everything in your hands falls apart. Everything in Jesus' hands holds together. Everything in your hands falls apart. Paul says that God was making peace with everything. So all, all of the contradictions, all of the contrast, all of the conflict in the universe... But because of the cross of Jesus, God was able to reconcile, to bring all of that together. Everything that was flying apart in the cross, it comes back together. This is the power, the strong force of the gospel. But that peace that Paul talks about, he says that it includes you. What God has done in Christ and what God continues to do in the world through Jesus, it includes you. It tries to bring you in. You, Paul says, who were actually God's enemy. You're thinking, man, I'm not God's enemy. I'm in church. You know, I love God. I've always loved God. My grandma loved Jesus. You know, she read me Bible stories. I love God. Well, understand what Paul is saying here. You're God's enemy because of your sin, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. It's I'm not saying you don't have you know, affection for God. The point is you're still a sinner. And that means the sin in you, you know, puts you on a collision course with a God who is ultimately holy. You can't be in his presence. You can't stand before him. Your sin continues to repel you from his presence. I'm telling you, you're his enemy. That's what the scripture says. No way to bring you together. It would take some sort of strong force here. And this is what Paul is saying. It's the strong force of the gospel. It's the sacrifice of Jesus, his death on the cross. This somehow includes you. It's not just some point in history, not just a Bible story that you heard in Sunday school. We're talking about something that includes you. Something that reaches from the very cosmic, you know, eternity with God down to the very soul of your heart, the center of your heart. This includes you. So in other words, this peace that God has created, the way he brings everything together through Jesus, that's supposed to include you too. You're supposed to have that peace. But a lot of us don't. A lot of us still. I'm saying everything in your hands falls apart. And, and, uh, and 
And you don't always understand why that happens, do you? I mean, you try hard. You work and you work and you work. <laughs> Somehow you never really have enough money. It's, it's, like, it's like you make money and you put it in a pocket with holes in it because it's all gone. Like your money runs out before the month runs out. And you've lived your whole life this way and you don't really understand why. Financially, man, it falls apart in your hands. Some of us are on our, what, third, fourth marriage. Relationships fall apart if you're in it. You try to love people you want to love, you want to be in love, you want to have somebody, you don't want to be by yourself, but somehow, man, people run from you, and you don't understand how relationships are supposed to hold together. Some of you worked really hard to raise a family, raise kids, but now you have kids that don't even come home, don't even want to talk to you. And you know, things in Jesus' hands hold together, but everything in your hands falls apart. Just want to remind you today where things hold together and why it is that things don't hold together for you. You really, really need to give your life to Jesus. I know some of you are believers, but it goes back to what Paul said. You have to continue to believe this and you have to stand firmly in it. Otherwise, you drift. And I suggest that some of you have drifted. You're not as close to the Lord as you once were. You do not pray as once you did. You're not faithful in church. And there's a time in my ministry when, uh, and I'm talking now about our church, there's a time when there were people who were here every time the door is open. I don't know anybody anymore that's here every time the door is open. Why do you think that is? People in previous generations, man, they had a kind of commitment that we don't seem to know anything about. I know, I don't know. We have other priorities I just want to suggest to you that maybe the reason that so many things in your life seem out of control while you're just constantly juggling, spinning the plates, and lay awake at night and you can't sleep, maybe it's just because you have managed to let these other priorities take center place in your life. If you want things to hold together, why don't you take those things and put them in the hands of the one who can hold them together, the one who made all things. They're for him, through him, and in him. You understand? In your hands, things seem to fall apart. In his hands, things hold together. So put your life in his hands. For some of you, that will be a first-time commitment. You've heard this message before, but you've never really, never really said yes to it. I would want to ask you today to once and for all just surrender to him. Put your life in his hands. Why are you being so stubborn? Others of you are believers. You say, Pastor Tim, I've done that, but, but now you've drifted. I'll call you back to Jesus today. Uh, you've got all kinds of problems. I do too. Church has all kinds of problems. We can make a long list of them, but it really wouldn't matter because no matter what problem you name, the answer is still Jesus. Come back to him. Pray with me.